Chili Effect is sponsored by WallStreetWindow.com and listeners like you. And now, and now the most underrated voice in all, in all media, Chuck O'Shelley. March 1, 2021, allegedly, according to that thing we call a calendar. And this is indeed the show you were looking for. Guess how I know that? Because you found it. Now, you might be hearing us live on the stream here at Ocelli.com, on Real Liberty Media, on the Post-Truth World Hub, all that good stuff online, or elsewhere where we are broadcast on occasion. I can't figure out the schedule in Ireland, but anyway, here we are. We are live, and most of you will be catching this further on down the stream via your fondle slab of choice, your applicable application, because it is a podcast where most podcasts are available. Anyway, Monday, Monday, Monday night, the first broadcast day of this week, and um, <clears throat> not doing the usual fare. Not at all. As a matter of fact, not too many people have I had on to discuss a memoir. And tonight we are going to discuss a memoir. We're not going to go into all of it because there's a lot here. An interesting guy. Um, and not necessarily somebody who is readily, immediately famous at the top of, you know, headlines out there or anything like that. I mean, but this guy is fascinating to me personally, and I think you're going to see why as we go into this. But I'm only going to give you a very small portion of what's in the book, which is called The Other Side of Success. The author is Martin Asawa, and I got to say, some aspects of this book normally, normally, frankly, I would dismiss. Tell you why. Uh, he's got an interesting financial success story here, which is almost alien to me. You guys know this. <laughs> so I, I always say that, <clears throat> yeah, it seems like magic tricks when it gets into it. And unless you were a privileged person to begin with, you usually don't get to succeed. At least that's the way it's been over the course of my lifetime in this country. But funny thing about Martin, he's got a whole story in here about success uh, from, well, what most people would call humble beginnings. Now, that's not the story I'm going to focus on tonight. I actually first want to get to know Martin a little bit on air. We haven't had a discussion, although I have gone through his book and not read all of it, but have read portions, here we go, tripping over the tongue, portions of it, (laughs) and uh, fascinating read, and I can already recommend it just based on a couple of excerpts. Again, very unusual. Um. And the story I'm going to talk about, well, you know what? I think I'll just save it. I won't lay it out for you guys. You'll find out as we go. But this is not the usual fare that I would cover on this show. So let's get to know Martin a little bit first and and, and ask him, how you doing tonight, sir? <laughs> oh, hi, Chuck. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really uh, looking forward to this. Oh, listen, I appreciate your time, and uh, you're definitely just, seriously, a fascinating guy um, that, you know, is, I don't know, kind of you're, you're kind of a curiosity to me for a few different reasons. And I, I'm still not going to lay those out. Usually I lay those kinds of things out, and then I make my case during the course of the show. I think you're going to present exactly why it is. <laughs> this is interesting as we go. First, let's get to know you a little bit, though. For, uh, the, the, the initial thing is this. Um, most authors that I, I seem to appreciate one way or another are usually a generation older than me. And, uh, you know, no offense to you or anything, Martin, but you are just about old enough to be my dad. And that is usually the authors I appreciate for one reason or another. Um, 
and I, I want to I want to find out first about your origin story, so we can get grounded. Like, uh, you you give some interesting details. Uh, you start out. Even your book is divided into two parts, which I appreciate. Um, I, I I like the way this is written. I, I don't know if this was always your intent to write a memoir, but I like the way it's written. By the way, also, um, it's engaging. So do me a favor and just verbally lay out. You know, who are you? Who you know? Where where were you born? What what is your nation of origin? What is your and in fact, ethnicity might come into play here during this discussion. I don't usually ask that, but you know, g- give me some uh, windows into your ethnicity, which I find interesting as well, um, and, and and all of that. So, how, how would you? Nobody knows who you are. They're looking at an image of your book. Maybe the links, uh, which I will give you guys in the show notes to the book, to his website, uh, some social media, a couple other things. Uh, that's all going to be there, but. Who are you exactly? I mean, how would you introduce yourself to somebody who just, you know, hey, look, I happen to know a guy who's kind of fascinating. Throw it out there. Who is Martin Sawa? Uh, uh, Chuck, I, I, my backstory really starts in Ukraine, where my parents were born in the early 1920s. And uh, they subsequently lived under Stalin and then Hitler and then almost Stalin again in the years before and uh, during World War II. So I, I don't want to get too gloomy, but they lived in a area that saw the greatest mass murder of civilians probably in human history. So that's... That's where they were coming from. Uh, when the war ended, they were wandering around Europe, kind of living day to day, and then uh, lived in displaced persons camps. They were called DP camps, uh, the last one being in Austria. And that's why I was conceived in a DP camp in Austria. And then uh, they came over, and I was birthed on U.S. soil in a small town in rural Wisconsin called Prairie du Chien. Uh, at that time, the uh, relocation policy was dispersion and not concentration in the urban ghettos. So there were a lot of Ukrainians, obviously, in New York and Toronto, Chicago. So we were the sole Ukrainian family in this little town growing up. And uh, I was lucky in that there was a Jesuit high school, a boarding school, which had uh, students from uh, other states and even other countries uh, right on the perimeter of the town. And uh, that's where I went to high school, and I learned far more than I did in um, college. And then after college, I moved from the Midwest to California and lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, well, let me, living in let me Oakland and working in San Francisco. Yeah, let me interrupt you for a second because I want to go back in your timeline just, just a minute. Um, first of all, I, I'd like to know what language you spoke as a child. Did you speak just English your whole life, uh, first of all? Secondly, um you know, if you could give me an idea of what that was like, I mean, did you feel at home in the United States or did you feel as though 
you were truly a displaced person <coughs> from another land. I mean, I just want to get a quick impression about that. Um, to get it, to get an idea, I'm drawing this mental picture of you, right, growing up, and we kind of already got to college. Let's pull it back a little bit into your childhood. Uh, you know, w w what would you say about that? And uh, do you feel as though you were uncomfortable culturally in America, or were you more comfortable here, or, you know, what was passed on from your parents? G give me a, a thumbnail on that. Well, uh, it's all relative to one's perspective and baseline, so to speak. Um, where my parents came from, uh, the worst imaginable conditions they envisioned in America were far better than the best possible conditions that they left. So it was, by today's standards, it was tough growing up. Uh, I didn't really, they spoke no English, and so I picked English up at the same time my parents did uh, as a child, you know, from uh, friends, and then when I started grade school. Mm -hmm. And this was the McCarthy era, and the locals, they didn't really know what a Ukrainian was, but it seemed like a Russian and therefore a Soviet. So, uh, and there was, this was a town of about 5,000 people and 40 bars, 40 taverns. So <laughs> I don't know if that gives you a good mental picture, but, uh, but that's how I grew up. Well, and, right. and that's I why didn't, I'm trying to get I, I mean, I had to, you know, fight and, you know, there was the, the usual stuff, but I, I regarded that as just normal. No, I, I understand. I'm just trying to get a, a, a sketch here in my mind because given that they left during that time period and we have the Red Scare kind of nationally here, uh, and most people would not make a distinction between Ukrainian and Soviet at all, um, <clears throat> that kind of puts you in a rough position, right? So you, you could be immediately just by having an accent uh, picking up English bit by bit, you, you probably sounded uh, much more Ukrainian as a child, which might have initially uh, come across to other American kids as, oh, he's Russian, basically. Um, so there's that, plus what goes on internally, where there's the real situation where, yeah, they came out of a horror show, so almost anything would have been better. Uh, and they come here and they're in maybe what would be considered a tough situation for the average American in their minds um, <clears throat> that wasn't like, you know, that was a blessing. Uh, okay, exactly, exactly. So, but that's why I'm trying to draw this, because it's a bit of a complexity here, and I think it has something to do with uh, with your tenacity in general. So I, I, I tr truly believe that our childhood does build uh, a lot of the things that uh, will influence us for the rest of our lives. Uh, and, and of, of course, there are many schools of thought on this. But it's just... Well, the the other idea. kind of prevailing uh, important aspect of the zeitgeist then was that we would be doing duck and cover drills as a regular practice right. in grade school. And the, the, for your younger listeners, uh, we had just started the Cold War with the Soviet Union, and each side was building progressively larger and larger atomic weapons. And with the Bay of Pigs and Cuba and all of that, there was the real, the real possibility that 
the world could be destroyed. And that possibility still exists. Mm -hmm. So it was just uh, that was part of that day and age. No, absolutely. But I, but it, a little different for you, I would think, than, again, the average American. So I just want to make, make that nice and clear. Um, but even still, you went through your uh, normal educational process, and I interrupted you when you were going to college there. So, uh, you know, you, you could talk about that and uh, continue on. Give me, a, a, again, a little more about you. Uh, what kind of... Uh, what kind of a guy were you? Were you uh, sort of an outgoing individual? Did you have lots and lots of friends? Were you sort of just focused on your work? I mean, what what sort of uh, what sort of kid were you there, even when you were a young adult? Well, uh, growing up, you know, I felt like kind of an outsider. I mean, just you know, language and that. But gradually acclimated. But uh, looking back, I, I seemed to have an ability to kind of blend in with uh, different groups. And that would uh, kind of define my life later as well. Uh, uh, you know, I, I hung out with like uh, the nerds and I hung out with the athletes and I hung out with the average kids and just for the sake of the experience and get, getting the visceral experience it was not something I did consciously then, but again, as I grew older, I found that that was a real important aspect to life. Uh, you know, I, it's good to read about in books or to hear it in conversation or now, you know, see images on a gadget, but to experience it personally and viscerally, I just, uh, you know, I think that's what I was after. So I just had different friends depending on the occasion. Well, fair enough, and and that's why I want to you know then transition into I, I we could talk about your first wife, uh, but we are going to spend a, a lot of time on your second wife. Um, so you know, g give me an idea how it is you know you you go from socialization into. Uh, deciding to marry your first wife and, and, and all that, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I, I moved uh, out west in 1973 and settled in Oakland, California, uh, which at that time um, uh, we, we, we had three sports teams and they had all won world, world titles. And uh, it was kind of a racial smorgasbord. Uh, the black population was uh, just at the point of exceeding the white population. There was always a historic Chinatown. Uh, there were Vietnamese refugees coming over after the Vietnam War. There were immigrants uh, from Mexico. So uh, the social scene, it was pretty, pretty active. And uh, my first wife, she was uh, Native American. 100% Choctaw, and she had two young uh, kids from a prior marriage. They were real sweet kids, and uh, we fell in love and then um, got married, and she was pregnant shortly after with her, with her daughter, mm -hmm. and I was uh, driving 50 miles every day from Oakland to San Jose. I had a job as a city planner, 
which I hated, and I was dead broke. So, <laughs> well, you see, although you, one of your degrees is literally in this 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 field, so I mean, it kind of made sense that this was the job you had, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I had trained and gone to graduate school and gone part time, uh, so it took me a few years, and within a couple of months of getting my master's degree, I left the profession. Hmm. And I just quit my job. I got a real estate sales license because at that time it didn't require any effort. There were no barriers to entry. And I got into the commercial side of the business uh, as a broker selling investment properties. And and fascinating thing, too, is that um, in Oakland at that time, you're just post um, Black Panther's peak time period there in Oakland. Uh, you are in, in a very interesting situation there in the city, for sure. Um, what I'm trying to, you know, what I'm trying to get my, my mind around is, you know, how, how that all went. Uh, you know, what, was there any social issues there for you? I mean, had you now gone well past the, uh, feeling of being an outsider? Did you feel like you were, you know, part of the community all the way around? Uh, it was a very racially diverse area, uh, at that time. Um, you know, what, 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 give me, give me a sense of that. I mean, you're going to, between San Jose and, uh, and San Francisco area, basically. Uh, which, uh, you know, for people that are, that have never been to California might think that that's just a really quick, uh, sort of journey. Like, <laughs> how, how much of a commute could you describe that and give people an idea what it was you had to do to just go to work? Well, it took it even back then. It it would take about an hour. But uh, the worst section of freeway in the Bay Area uh, probably still is, but certainly at that time was the stretch. Uh, it was called the Nimitz Freeway, uh, which was later to pancake in the in the big earthquake of 89, but uh, it was just uh, they had um, prohibited trucks on adjoining freeways. So it was just this column of semis, and it was crazy. <laughs> so it was a stressful drive, right? and, and that was part of it. But uh, I, I think the way, because of the melting pot aspect and the way I grew up and just, I don't know, Again, I just seemed to be able to blend in, uh, and it wasn't like I was, um, you know, consciously trying to make a statement or anything. But you know, when I met my wife in a bar in Jack London Square, I mean, she was uh, she was a hot number, <laughs> and there was an attraction. So, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. no, I'm just curious about it. I mean, again, I don't want to focus on your first marriage. I mean, obviously. Uh, since there was a second marriage, first marriage did not last. Uh, but, you know, look, I, I, I can tell you about my experiences there too. <laughs> you know, uh, first marriage, uh, was, was ill-advised entirely. Um, for me, for me, not for you. I'm not making statements about your decisions. I'm just saying that for me it was. So, um, logically leads to possibly second marriage. So, um, let's transition into that because, uh, you know, like how, how did your first marriage come to an end? If you don't mind describing that and, uh, and, and tell me about meeting your second wife 
who, um, quite frankly, uh, I, I, I gotta say is, is interesting more to me than, uh, than a, a few other characters, even those that you gave pseudonyms in your, uh, in your memoir here, as far as I've read. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, interesting lady. I, I, I like her. Um, and, and I want to, I want to get, get into, you know, how you guys met. Uh, and you know what that relationship was like. If you could give people an idea, who knows? We might take up quite a bit of time on this, and it's going to become relevant in the discussion for you guys listening uh, <laughs> later. Believe me. Um, but but please, if you could, just explain how you went from wife number one to wife number two, and uh, and and give me a, a little more of a detailed story about meeting her and what that was, and the nature of that relationship, uh, if you can. Well, uh, my first wife and I, we separated in uh, 1985, and then uh, I dated for a number of years and didn't meet my who was be, woman who was to become my second wife until early in 1991. So just, uh, just as a brief segue, by that time, I had climbed, climbed up the ladder, so to speak, in the world of commercial uh, uh, brokerage investment sales and where I started out selling little small buildings and vacant lots around Lake Merritt in Oakland. I was now with a large uh, national and soon to be international firm in San Francisco mm -hmm. and selling high-rise office buildings and shopping malls and technology parks. So I was getting close to being at the top of my game in in that in that business, um, and I, I I met my second wife. They they didn't. This was pre-internet, right. <laughs> so the the way people met, other than the traditional ways, was they would put ads. In these, uh, in, in newspapers and most particularly in these kind of alternative newspapers, uh, where you could run an ad pretty cheap and then it would, uh, leave a message. Uh, you'd leave a phone message, which then the person at the other end could access. So I, I just started and, you know, left a couple of messages and nothing happened. And then, uh, one, the woman responded. And uh, so, so she, she was we, the we, one running the ad then, Martin. She had run the ad, yeah, and I'd responded to her ad. Okay. Now, see, I'm familiar yeah. with this because on the East Coast we had these things too where uh, women could run ads for free, men paid a couple of dollars. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and frankly, then the whole the whole business model was based on the fact that you had to pay to access, you know, your mailbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And all that. So, no, th th these kind of things used to be all over the country, kiddies, when uh, when there was no internet. And uh, it's like lady yeah. ladies' night at the bar. Kinda, yeah, but but in <laughs> all these publications, and mostly you're right in uh, sort of alternative publications, underground or. Um, the most interesting one for me on the East Coast was in a music publication uh, called the East Coast Rocker at one point, and then called the Aquarian. Um, but uh, but but then again, the Village Voice did this. Um, you know, New York, New Jersey. This is the area where I grew up, so I know those publications. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, this was Oakland's yeah. version of 
the okay. village voice. It was called the gotcha. East Bay Express. Um, okay, and no, the first okay. 25 words of an ad were free. There you, you go. Swing the deal more. <laughs> so, so you do the <laughs> ISO, which means in search of. That's one word. <laughs> then, yeah, I know. I, I got you. I, I totally. And, and again, this is one of those lost arts. I bet you, you know, a bunch of people are like, "What are these old men talking about?" Um, it's okay. And and again, Martin's older than me, but no, I I remember too. Uh, this is the way it was done. So she's running an ad, and it's kind of interesting because some of those ads would say, you know. Uh, well, even single white female was, uh, was a film at one point, and it came from the fact that a lot of ads began with, uh, that they were single or divorced, what their race was, and what their gender was, uh, which would be a much more confusing process today. Uh, but, yes. <laughs> th- there, there used to be a very general sort of thing, like, <clears throat> if Martin was running an ad, he would have to say that, uh, he was a divorced white male. So he would be DWM, uh, you know, searching for. And meanwhile, um, yeah, so let's, let's go forward. I mean, it's just, it's just fun to think about that, uh, that this is a unique, uh, portion of this that maybe some people don't understand. So glad we broke it down. Um, yeah, at that time, there were two, two alternatives, men seeking women and women seeking men. So, <laughs> no. No, exactly right. And, and then of course, well, uh, but see, now in the East Village, <laughs> it wasn't like that. See, you had the, uh, you, you had the alternative columns, but men seeking, you know, men was also there and women seeking women. So you had four sections in the East Village. <laughs> yeah. I think in fact, you're right. Yeah. That, that may have been already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, starting in, in Oakland as well. Just saying. I mean, and you and I were reading the same kind of publications at about the same time, just so you know, except I yeah. was a, a younger man and had not been divorced yet. Um, that came later. Anyhow. So moving forward though, you, you, you left a couple of messages and then they're supposed to call you back because you leave them your phone number. Uh, Correct. And, you know, sometimes you hear, sometimes you don't. Uh, so, so you leave a couple of messages and she doesn't respond. And, uh, but she's interesting based on her ad. What, what caught you about her ad though? Just, just give me an idea if you can remember. Well, uh, she was, uh, black and, uh, uh, said she was in her thirties and spiritual and seeking professional man. And there wasn't like, uh, you know, didn't go on and on and say cute stuff, but uh, who knows? There was just something that, that caught my eye about it. Just something and, sort of clicked. I got you. Okay. And you fit the description. So there you go. Uh, so you contact her and she finally calls you back after a couple of tries. And uh, how did that go? Well, uh, we talked briefly and I've always been a believer that even today, if until you meet a person physically, you know, you can email, you can talk till the cows come home, but oh, yeah. you really can't assess that person. Uh, you know, it, it's like the first impression. So, and be able to spend some time and find out about them where they can't, like now you can edit a conversation and, you know, chat or whatever. Uh, so we, we, and she felt the same way. So we pretty much agreed to, Meet for dinner at a at a local restaurant in Berkeley, uh, and there was a place called Skates Skates on the Bay. It was right on on the waterfront, um, 
that's where uh, Otis Redding composed Sitting on the Dock of the Bay for mm-hmm. <laughs> people interested in, in in music from that from that era. And uh so I just I got there early and I got us a table and I kinda waited and then she she wa- walked in the door and I said, you know, this I I I mean I was a <laughs> I I was thankful for my good fortune. She was just, you know, very attractive and uh, self-possessed, very self-confident. So, uh, you know, we had a nice dinner, talked, and then she um, said, "Well, let's uh, let's meet next week." And I'd like to I'd like to pay at that time, which impressed me. And I wondered if you mind if I brought my best girlfriend along. I said, "No, that'd be fine." So we met the next weekend, or next week, and uh, uh, I met her girlfriend, and then Anita, my second wife, she excused herself, you know, on the pretense of going to the bathroom, and her best friend, like, grilled me, <laughs> mercilessly. Uh, there and was a reason I, she brought her best girlfriend <laughs> along, I see. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. And, and... I, Anita never told me what, what, you know, whether it was thumbs up or down, but I suspect it was probably a thumbs down. But she, uh, decided to go ahead anyway. So that was the start of our relationship. And then, uh, we got married a couple years later mm-hmm. on the beach in Jamaica and, uh, lived in the hills in the, uh, Oakland Berkeley Hills. Right. Well, if you had to generally describe the relationship as it evolved, I mean, was it, uh, you know, just fiery? I mean, did you have a, you know, a, just a, an instant comf- comfort zone that the two of you developed? I mean, from your perspective, uh, obviously, uh, how, how, how would you describe the relationship in general? Well, her background was somewhat similar to mine. Uh, she grew up in uh, rural Alabama, uh, about 30, 40 miles outside of Mobile. And uh, the schools didn't integrate until her senior year. But she was uh, she was very intelligent and very confident. And she got on the bus just like I did after high school and took the bus to California and never looked back. Mm. So, so she was, um, yeah, so she was clearly adventurous and yeah. And, and when, when we met, she was working for the regional manager for digital equipment corporation in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that would be the equivalent. That was one of the, with IBM, the, Early iconic uh, computer companies. Right. So she was. She was, and she was active in local politics. So she. A lot depends, you know, on the person. But in terms of, you know, improving, uh, not, you know, not getting stuck in that little town, and, you know, and uh, just improving her lot in life. uh, You know, she grabbed the bull by the horns. Yeah, certainly seems so. And also, uh, again, there, there's a bit of bravery implied here because, 
uh, although she was a little younger than you, she had definitely experienced uh, the tail end of the strong Jim Crow South, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, is is something that does, again, shape your perspectives. Um, <clears throat> now, I don't want to focus on race because I, I really feel as though most of that is often counterproductive. But I think it's relevant here because, you know, her going to even marry a white man, because, you know, sorry to give you that, because uh, I hate that <laughs> description. And I refuse to be called white, by the way, because they wouldn't call my ancestors white when they came here. So, you know what? You can keep it. Um, anyway, uh, but but how else could she see it? Um, might she have a bit of fear and loathing of white people even coming from Alabama during that time period? Yeah, yeah, she could. Uh, but she didn't, apparently. Or maybe she did. Maybe there was a little hesitation that you didn't just tell us about here. Maybe there was a racial component or there wasn't. Was it just not an issue at all? Or was it, uh, you know, c- could you just explore that for a moment or two? I don't want to linger on it. But I would like to know if there was any sort of uh, hesitation on her part or, um, I don't know, just sort of like, well, you know, normally uh, this is how I would view somebody like you, but you're different. I mean, was it like that or was it was there something else to it? Uh, you, you almost had to have been there because so much depends on where you lived and the the the, the capacity of the person you're, you're dealing with mm-hmm. in terms of taking a wide view, for lack of a better word. So uh, this was, uh, uh, even when I met my first wife, uh, uh, that was like 10 years after loving v. Virginia, the mm-hmm. Supreme Court decision that uh, overturned any remaining statutes in, in among U.S. states banning interracial marriage. So it, the, in Oakland wasn't the Deep South, or it wasn't Wisconsin. It was kind of this melting pot. So th- there was always this kind of, in, there was an interracial kind of vibe in the air. Now, uh, this lifestyle isn't for everybody, right. e- even today. Uh, but I think today you have a lot of built-in animus, uh, which just didn't, didn't exist to that degree from my experience. And then I was, again, predisposed to kind of blend in anyway. So before I met Anita, I had dated other black women and I had black friends, you know, musicians, uh, real estate people. Uh, so this this wasn't like a, a foreign world. And uh, the race in terms of dealing with me, not with other people, they may have dealt differently, but in dealing with me, it was like you and I are talking right now. No, fair so. enough. I, I just wanted to make sure we got a picture of that because somebody might ask that question. I'm going to include uh, an image of Anita uh, again with the uh, with the show template and everything tonight, so you guys can see exactly so what what she looked like. Um, and <clears throat> I, I'm I'm just trying to explore the relationship a bit, and that had to be a component of the relationship 
one way or another, whether it, you know, was something that simply wasn't part of the consideration or, or it was a feature. Uh, you know, in one way or another, it just seemed to me as though during that time period, even then, uh, it, you know, that, that people grew up during a different time period might see things differently, right? So. Well, she, yeah, she was open-minded. I mean, and just like me, you know, what works? Uh, it's, you know, you, it's such, it's such a, it's such a hot topic, but you have people of all kinds. No matter what your race or ethnicity or what other aspect you choose to kind of sort them by, okay, and it comes down to the person. You know, who are they? What are the what are their core values? Um, do you have those in common? Is there an attraction? Mm-hmm. And if that's there, um, she was open minded enough, and I was too. Well, that speaking the race, of that, the race was never a big deal for us. I mean, frankly, no, that's it was never great. a big deal. That's great. But speaking of that, since you're talking about core values and things that you may or may not have had in common, you mentioned that she said she was spiritual in her uh, ad, right? So, what did that mean? And by the way, what what is your orientation at that time? Now, I note that people change over time. Uh, I certainly have. <laughs> You know, um, over the course of my lifetime, you know, if you would have asked me uh, as a child what was my view on religion and everything else, I probably would have said God is dead. Uh, But, you know, I've changed over time. Um, Curious with your sort of uh, background and uh, with, with a strong family component, I mean, was there a religious um sort of track we could follow here to understand what your spiritual uh, endocrine system was like at this point in time and what was hers like and did they match? Well, I I grew up uh, Roman Catholic. My parents were Ukrainian Greek Catholic back in the old country, mm-hmm. uh, but they didn't have that... <laughs> denomination in this little town. So I was an altar boy and went to Catholic grade school and obviously Catholic high school. Mm-hmm. And then after high school, I just uh, lost the practice of my faith. It wasn't that I, like, I had some intellectual conversion or it was just the secular life lifestyle. And I think this country just is become progressively more secular in the last 50 years. So I just lost yeah. the practice. Um, when when our daughter was born, uh, I, I did find a Ukrainian Greek Catholic church in San Francisco and had her baptized. But then after that, didn't go to church or really have much religious instruction even from my daughter. So uh, when I met Anita, I was like that. She grew up in her town. Her mother was very religious, uh, Pentecostal. Pentecostal. And in this, okay. in the countryside there, in the outskirts of Mobile, I mean, there'd be a little one-room church uh, almost every other block. I don't know how there was enough population to support it, but her mother literally built the church with her own hands. Right. And, but when Anita, uh, again, after high school, she just found that practice. I mean, the service would last all day, and 
you know, yelling and testifying and all that. She just wasn't attracted to that and kind of developed her own brand of Christianity. She read the Bible every night. And I mean, not just, she read it seriously and did her own exegesis and, you know, wrote these explanatory tracks on passages and like that. And most importantly, she walked the walk. So I, I really admired her. I mean, it wasn't what I was doing, but I could sense you know, genuine um, religiosity at its best, for lack of a better word, so, in her. So, at your, I, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh no, it does, because it seems to me as though at your core you remain Christian, but your practices may have not been intensely organized. Um, but uh, it still makes perfect sense with somebody who is kind of a uh, well-practiced Christian in their own way. Um, and at the same time also understands that Christian happens to be a verb, uh, which I find admirable, even though I don't identify myself as a Christian. When I see somebody who says, look, uh, you know, I believe in this, and I think that people are supposed to be Christ-like, I say, oh, here's somebody who actually is serious. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Not, not just somebody who tries to beat me over the head with Bible verses, mind you, but somebody who actually uh, behaves as though they are someone who believes in what is being taught there. Um, and then so, she didn't, mm-hmm. she didn't proselytize. I mean, with her friends or just me, you wouldn't know what her beliefs were. Right. And, and that was very important to her, uh, to, you know, not, not, not proselytize, not try to beat someone over the head. Mm-hmm. They had to get it for themselves. And mm-hmm. if they wanted her help, she was, there to help them, but if they didn't, she never pushed it. So, no, fair enough. And I mean, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, interesting and intimate details here that could describe the relationship a bit more. But let's get a couple of more broad strokes about it uh, regarding, you know, like behaviors. I mean, were you like the closely kept uh, couple that appreciated each other's company above all else? Were you sort of the uh, interactive, uh, loosely associated couple. I mean, give us a sense of the nature of that relationship before we move on to uh, maybe some more upsetting topics that will turn into something else as we go. Uh, if you could, give me a sense of that. I mean, in your your best estimation, I mean, was it, um, like, for instance, I, I could tell you that my, my first marriage was rather utilitarian, um, you know, I went out, earned money, got home, got uh, browbeat, and went to sleep. Uh, that's pretty much what I did, <laughs> and I did my best to uh, to make that work. But it was kind of a a, a misery that um, that I just felt obligated to. Um, and and I know I'm not the only one. It's not unique. Uh, but there are other times where I could tell you that in my second marriage, it was uh, very much enjoying each other's company. Um, and it, it was about that. We were very much about each other and, uh, just enjoyed doing the simple things together and this kind of thing. Um, and it was fairly happy without, uh, anybody else interfering with it until they did. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that ended rather tragically for me, but this story's not about me. 
Um, but I could give you a, a thumbnail sketch of that and tell you that it was just really her and I enjoying each other's company and having a uniquely powerful connection to one another uh, uh, until her death. And it was, um, you know, it was in general just a very happy sort of natural thing that came together. Would you say that or would you say something else about your relationship with Anita? Well, she loved the party. I mean, so don't let <laughs> don't let her religious commitment uh, give you the wrong impression. And uh, she had a lot of friends. She was just naturally charismatic. Hmm. And I never had many friends uh, ever in my life. I just didn't have the time, or you know, for whatever reason. So, and when I was in in commercial real estate. I was largely an entrepreneur, even as a broker. I worked solely on commission, so I really worked for myself. And quite often, the most competition I got were from the people sitting around me in the company I happened to be affiliated with. So gotcha. uh, she brought a lot of new friends into our lives, and we'd have these parties. Uh, you know, at Christmas, we'd do like a toy drive, and we'd get 100, 150 people. And just kind of all races and, you know, all professions. And uh, so it, it was kind of a time like that. Uh, well, you know, but blood. then there was another aspect yeah. that I hadn't anticipated or, <laughs> or ever encountered before, which um, is probably we're getting closer to the, the story that's of interest to you. No, no, definitely. Um, but just for clarification here, you know, partying could be dancing, singing, and, uh, r you know, raising some noise, or it could be drinking and, uh, you know, experimentation with substances. It could be, could be all of the above. Um, so j just to clarify, what, what, what are we talking about here with partying? Are we talking about a bit of intoxication and dancing? Are we talking about, uh, just generally socializing, uh, are we talking about, you know, a bunch of people getting together to uh, have collective experiences like, uh, you know, like live music, uh, this kind of thing? What, what are we talking about? Uh, yeah, we're not talking, you know, hard drugs or drug addiction, although in terms of alcohol, uh, I was uh, I, growing up in a little town. I started drinking when I was 12, 13 years old, drinking beer in cornfields. So it was becoming a bigger problem for me. Uh, for Anita, she knew how, you know, to uh, deal with uh, alcohol in, in moderation. And it was always more just the, that kind of fun dancing, you know, storytelling. No, fair enough, because it, yeah. that would be the next logical question. If we're talking about alcohol as a main feature, alcohol could be something that is, uh, you know, just part of what's going on or could become a dysfunctional element that is added to a situation. So did did you get a little bit of both or was it mostly just, you know, having a good time because of her attitude and her friend's attitudes or was it kind of destructive for you or not for her or what? No, in the in the first years it was it was just a nice balance, but I, again, it's it, it's hard to separate my business life from my personal life. That's why I, the, the memoir for the benefit of your, your listeners, 
is, isn't like a standard business bio kind of thing. No, not it, at all. It talks about my business life, but you're not like these three separate people or however many. You know, you're one person. And so I had to get into my personal life. And that was the hardest decision um, before I started writing it was how truthful was I going to be. Yeah. And I decided I'm either all in or I'm not in at all. No, I so. got you. And the thing about alcohol, again, is that uh, from from your personal standpoint, it could have been just a tool of your trade. Uh, you know, you sit down, you have a couple of drinks while you're making a deal, right? Um, yeah, and in my lifestyle at that time, I was traveling, going to Japan, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the functions. You can picture, you know, a couple hundred rowdy brokers in Las Vegas for an awards function. And so you can kind of <laughs> imagine how that goes. No, no, so it was it, it was building up, uh, but I had a history of drinking going all the way back to my childhood. But it, at this point, it was kind of still manageable, and I don't want to say our life was idyllic, but it was it was like that, you know. Okay, so all of that having been said, though, back again to the core between the two of you before we, we're almost at the end of the first hour here, believe it or not. <laughs> so this is why I, I, I specifically, you know, at first I said to uh, your publicist, I, I, I would like an hour with you. And then I said, you know what, if we can have a second hour, I can make this uh, a whole lot more of an interesting long form story. And I think that's exactly what we're doing here. Uh, and meanwhile, <clears throat> still really skipping around. This is not all of what's in Martin's book, The Other Side of Success, again. And uh, don't worry, I'm going to tell you the title a few more times and give you the link to go uh, look at it and everything else in the show notes. But um, but this is, <laughs> this is relevant and yet uh, does not even really scratch the surface of what could have been covered here in this discussion. Um, so I want to end the first hour, though, really establishing where your relationship is um, and how it progressed to a point where, well, let's be honest, tragedy strikes. Um, and I don't want to get into the things that are sort of ahead of where you uh, are dealing with that tragedy or anything else. I want to deal with the life first before we get to the other side. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, so back to that relationship and how it was, it did change over time. I mean, everything matures as it does, and sometimes for better, for worse, sometimes sickness, health. Hey, that's called marriage, isn't it? Um, yeah, what what I got that I hadn't bargained for was uh, I, I found out that Anita had what I would call special powers. Okay, and at this point, uh, I... A warning label for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this matter and other topics we might touch down on, I'm, I, I'm not here to, uh, try to convince anyone of, you know, um, things, let's say. Uh, but if you read the book, you'll see what my thought process was and my skepticism and, uh, the degree of effort I went in to make to try to disprove things, and well, then the conclusions I drew at the end of the day. So right. and in, I'm in just the real, I'm retelling the mm-hmm. story as I 
experience then. No, fair enough. And what else can you really do, honestly? Uh, yeah, yeah, outside yeah. tell it from your side. And that's the thing about this. When, when we get into the second hour, it is definitely a judge this for yourself circumstance. Uh, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that, that Martin is right or wrong about what he thinks. <laughs> I'm just letting him tell the story in the next hour, um, <clears throat> from his perspective, obviously. So what do you mean by she had special powers though? I mean, uh, I, I, I have a bit of an unfair advantage to the listeners. So here's the thing. Um, you could say that there are people that just naturally have a knack. They have a charisma. They're very good at uh, judging people. They're very good at reading people. Um, it seems as though Anita was one of these people who is on the higher level when it comes to that, where she had that ability to do that just in general. Without discussing anything uh, metaphysical, right, esoteric, right. Uh, I would say, just from what I can judge from what you're saying in the book, uh, she was one of these kind of people who definitely had a good way of reading people in general. And uh, so, so you know, if you wouldn't mind, do you agree with that, first of all? Um, and secondly, you know, tell us a little more about what you think are special powers, because that to me is a natural gift. Uh, the strength of the personality, uh, and, and clearly requires some intelligence and some flexibility intellectually, uh, which she apparently had. Um, yeah, and just as, as a preface, almost about any discussion you can have, you know, the, the first question or thing I try to f- figure out from somebody is, what do they believe to be true? Okay. What do they believe to be true? Whether it's an image on, on a screen or it's uh, something you're writing or scientific discovery. Just So my, my belief is that there are, I call this the world of the unseen. There are things that happen that I am unable to explain. But, but nonetheless are real. Okay. And if they're real, given my propensity for direct visceral experience, then it's something I incorporate in my arsenal, if that makes sense. So. No, it does. Uh, and I explain it this way. Some people call these things supernatural. Um, I think that that's wrong. Because they are natural events, um, and they do occur, and not everything has a conventional explanation. Uh, no matter what you look at in, in anyone's personal history, it seems as though, if they're paying attention, they can't explain everything they see, encounter, etc. Okay? <clears throat> no matter what angle you come from. So, there are exceptional events there are extraordinary events but i don't see anything as supernatural because it's either natural or it's not it either happened or it didn't and frankly there are a lot of people who um make a living <laughs> and uh <laughs> and they, they make a living off of uh well off of uh false perceptions and false perceptions which are easily sold to people and that's not just in the uh, allegedly supernatural realm. 
There are plenty of people that sell, you know, people bad business plans. And they do it successfully because they have a good pitch. There are plenty of people that, uh, you know, sell pieces of entertainment that, in retrospect, are not very entertaining. <laughs> but they find a way to sell it. And simply because somebody is a successful salesman and has the ability to determine what an audience will buy doesn't necessarily mean that there is an ethic or an efficacy to anything they're presenting. With that being said, I am highly skeptical of uh, of a lot of what you're going to wind up explaining in the next hour. Uh, not your story, per se, but generally stories like this. I am extremely skeptical. However, I'm going to say something here that I would not often say uh, when discussing this, which is that there is a ring of truth that you are presenting here that uh, that I cannot ignore. I'm not even saying that I endorse the story because I didn't experience it. And quite frankly, I don't have all the information. And I'm sure there's more information that's not in the book <laughs> that, uh, that could be presented regarding this. But um, the story you tell is compelling and does ring of truth to me, which is a rare thing when it comes to the world of the unseen. I think there's just too many uh, shysters, hucksters out there who are taking advantage of people who want an answer. You understand? Um, yeah, I I think yeah. this is there's to kind of maybe jump ahead a little bit, but my personal belief is that there's a, just a very small, very small number of people who have what I call you know, special abilities. Mm -hmm. it, it's not, and, and, you know, I subscribe to Skeptic Magazine. I studied stage magic. And, and like I point out in the book, you know, I dealt in business with the people whose names you see in the paper and who are masters of illusion. Right. So I, I didn't just, like, fall off the turnip truck on this. But, no. but even that said... Uh, I just I'm going to tell my story, and that's all I can say. No, I got you, and I mean I'll call out one by name who I've always found to be a successful um, hoaxer and huckster regarding this, and that is John Edwards. I think he's one of the most awful uh, examples of somebody who figured out a way to uh, take advantage of people. So I'm just just saying that for the record. That's me. That's not Martin. <laughs> okay. Martin might have a different view. I don't know. Don't even want to ask. Thing is, this is about his story, and I do want to get into his perspective on this in the hour that we're about to go into. Uh, because, well, unfortunately, the relationship with Anita does end in a way that we're going to have to talk about the world of the unseen on the O'Kelly Effect. And we are discussing in general this memoir by Martin Sauer called The Other Side of Success. Stick around. The O'Kelly Effect will return after this. Gold, silver, the stock market. WallStreetWindow.com Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. WallStreetWindow.com Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State. 
understood these trends professionally for many years, and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge. WallStreetWindow.com Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. Support Chuck O'Chelly at Chili.com. Five bucks a month is the price of coffee. Go to Chili.com, hit the donate button. If we all do that part, we will get him as wired as a computer. Don't know if that's it, but just support him. He's a good thing. Great show, great people, and great topics. So that's it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Of course, you can do it on Patreon.com or you can, uh, you know, because I have a link there on the website. You can just click the Patreon banner, go there, or become a member at Ocelli.com. Wasn't trying to do a commercial, but do appreciate you for thinking of it, Nature Boy. Thank you. And also, thank you for your support personally, my friend. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks by Larry Hancock. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. Larry Hancock's book, In Denial, rips the cover off many of them. Using new files, it exposes things about the Bay of Pigs that no one has ever written about before. It shows why it really failed and why the United States did not learn from it. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. It also shows why other countries today are doing secret operations with more success. This is the book that puts what some want to deny into the light. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks. Larry Hancock. For more information, go to Larry-Hancock.com. Pick up your copy of In Denial at Amazon.com in digital or physical form. Do you like history, real history, that you were never taught in schools? Why? The Vietnam War, nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia by author Mike Swanson with new documentation never seen before that will open your eyes to events that led up to this. Why? The Vietnam War, nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 1961. Get your copy today at Amazon. Dot com. Why? The Vietnam War by author Mike Swanson.
second hour of the Ocelli Effect continues now here at Ocelli.com. My guest tonight is Martin Sawa, and, uh, you know, he has written a memoir called The Other Side of Success. Now, we are focusing particularly on one aspect in the book, and I'm telling you, there's a lot more material, a lot more story in there uh, than, than what we're talking about tonight. I mean... There, there's a ton there. There's a ton of different uh, story arcs you could explore, which is really kind of fascinating in a memoir. Uh, and because I'm also, uh, at this time, writing a memoir, <laughs> right? Um, it, this is not why I want to talk to Martin. And it's it, it's very interesting to me that, uh, as I told him during the break here, I've turned down uh, a bunch of people who have written memoirs in the past two years. Because I didn't find a lot of things they wrote remarkable. And on the other hand, when they started to talk about metaphysical topics or topics from the unseen world, as Martin phrased it in the first hour, um, there was uh, not the ring of truth, not the ring of reality that I found in Martin's story. Now, I leave it to your judgment. I don't even say that I have a judgment here where... I believe everything that Martin has said, or I, I think this is the whole story because we had a discussion last week about how you never quite get the whole story, didn't we, on this show? Uh, doesn't matter if it's a historical event or it's just something that happened earlier in the day and somebody's telling you about it. You never really get the whole story anyway. So bad, you know, qualifier when it comes to that. But Martin's book is really engaging and is interesting and has this very significant ring of not only truth but 
a reality which is being honestly spoken to me in this book. So I, I don't know. Uh, you, you didn't mention how your writing skills came together. I don't know if it's the skill of your writing or it's the strength of your story or if it's both. I suspect both. But uh, but either way, it's it's well written. It's definitely worth your time. So you can get a copy of this thing in a bunch of different ways. I'm going to give you the link to Martin's website. Uh, and again, the book is called The Other Side of Success. Meanwhile, what we were talking about here is uh, the relationship with his second wife, Anita, who was uh, definitely a charismatic and interesting lady. Um, and, uh, somebody who, uh, Martin was having a bit of fun with because they were engaged in, uh, partying as he said. And, you know, she was a, uh, a, a social, well, kind of a social dynamo sounds like to me, um, where she was almost like a force of nature. And some people have trouble, you know, socializing in any way, shape or form anymore. <laughs> uh, I wonder what, uh what Anita would make of things as they stand today with people's socialization, actually. But um, it, it, it's it's an interesting story, and unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about a, uh, a, a tragic element and then go beyond that. So with that, uh, Martin, we were talking about the nature of that relationship. Uh, like I asked you a few times to explain, you know, some of those aspects, what it was like, all of that. Unfortunately, now, I want you to skip to just before the tragedy and the tragedy itself, or at least some of the things that happened before the tragedy that are relevant to what we're going to have to talk about after the tragedy of your... And, and I, I'm sorry to keep using that word, but, yeah, kind of feel like it's appropriate. So, Martin, if you wouldn't mind, um, if we could go into a, a bit of darkness here for a minute and uh, maybe get to somewhere else by the time we're done. Please continue the story. Uh, thanks, Chuck. So just to give your listeners a uh, little impression, um, uh, Anita would, things would happen to her. We'd go to the grocery store, and I'd be waiting, and uh, she'd be in the car, and she'd come out, and then some looked like almost a homeless woman, came up and they would engage in conversation for 10, 15 minutes. And when she got back to the car, I said, well, what was that all about? She said, oh, that's, that's just an angel. She had some advice for me. And, uh, she would like pick up the phone before it even rang and, you know, launch into conversation with her sister. And then we had some joint experiences where, uh, one was, I met this, I would call this person an imp. And, uh, you can read the book to get the whole story, but, uh, things seemed to me to be happening that she was dealing in what I call an area that I had no experience in. Mm. Uh, but it was very real for her. And then when I got involved, it became very real for me. And, so I asked her, like, what her growing up was like, and was she different? And she said in high school, there was this girl that bullied that tormented her. And one day she just told her she had uh, tuberculosis, TB. And the girl was just, like, shocked and angry and and because she hadn't been diagnosed, but two weeks later she was. And then Anita 
said at that point, I, I knew I could see things and there was a gift from God and I just, I had to, you know, deal with it in a proper way. So that, that, right. that, so there were these kind of experiences, but to, to scroll ahead. Um, well, really quickly before you do, um, I am one of those people who has observed and believes that if you are able to pay attention, uh, there are often signs, and you could call it signs from the universe or the gods or God. You could uh, describe it in many different ways, but quite often, uh, in some unexpected places, you will find that there are messages that are given to you. And sometimes, indeed, it could come from a homeless person. It could come from another living creature uh, warning you or signaling something to you. I, I, I believe that uh, this reality in which we live often presents um, plenty of readable signs for those that have their eyes open. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, th this is not strange sounding to me at all. Um, and some people lean into that more. Some people are more sensitive and some people attract, to be honest with you. Um, these types of individuals who are often, in, in my opinion, not just attracted to the individual, but, uh, but are compelled by, uh, by things and, uh, reason that they do not even necessarily understand themselves, but they are merely messengers. Um, exactly, exactly. You know, so I think that's a good way to, to describe this, and it seems to me as though uh, Anita and I would have had a good conversation <laughs> about this <laughs> uh, and, and understood this. I mean, again, I'm imagining these things, and, uh, uh, I, I, you know, through your eyes in the book, uh, you know, we, we do get a sense of this. I just wanted to give the listeners a sense, and I think that's uh, that's a good way to sum that up. What do you say, Mark? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100. percent I was the exact opposite when I met her. I was so focused on work and you know where you have to the kind of work I did. You have to do it 110 percent, or if you do it 50 percent, you don't make half as much. You make nothing. So I was like had those blinders. So this this was a new experience for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as this developed, um, we. Moved to LA and, uh, my drinking, uh, I hit rock bottom when, when we were living in LA and I had a, a fair, a one night stand with a, you know, old girlfriend who I had, I met in Oakland and hadn't had any contact with for, you know, seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. And it just devastated Anita and, uh, I mean, if I were her, I would have left me. And but she, you know, she found it within herself to give me one more chance. And so uh, went to counseling, and I dealt with the alcohol, and we started to rebuild our life. And uh, and now um, I quit. I, I just dropped out of brokerage, sort of at the top of my game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just began to catch up on some other, you know, I'd call more spiritual pursuit. And uh, Anita became, at that point, not just wife and lover, but uh, a spiritual mentor and a moral compass. Uh, you you kind of have to understand that because, 
as you know, Chuck, no two relationships are exactly alike. Right. So, but in a way, and, this um, seems to have increased the connection between the two of you. Um, and you left broke, you know, your your, your brokerage game uh, basically <clears throat> while you were still functional, but your personal life was was having a you know a, a bit of a rocky time, right? Or, or am I or am I misunderstanding that? No, that's exactly right, and that's okay. the, the title of the book is the other side of success. Right, right. Uh, no, it's so, the, so the now, price you pay. Yeah, you know, so the flip now, side of the coin. Right. So now, because of you know some personal mistakes, uh, the affair is probably the most prominent one, but there was probably a few more, right? Because usually that doesn't come all by itself. Um, no, there were, there were. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have this. I issue. tried to. I tried to hit other ones, but <laughs> there was uh, there you go. But I was but limited mean, by page count. No, fair enough, fair enough. And and besides that, you know, not all the details are for the whole world. So you know, some things you can keep to yourself, right? Um, yeah. But but the thing is, j- just just saying, this is the way this goes, and what this ends up with is, uh, you know, you you would have felt that it would have been perfectly reasonable to have it destroy the relationship. Uh, it challenged the relationship. And you wind up with a, uh, sounds to me like a stronger connection, uh, you know, a more uh, nuanced and uh, dynamic connection where it's on more levels than it used to be. You actually got a, a partner on more levels than you had in the past with her. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah. And, but you have to break down the ego self. You know, I thought it was, you know, was, again, I was one of the top brokers on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you get an image of yourself, and it's it's not the r- real you, and you have to break that kind of and rebuild it. So, well, fair enough. So you're at this point, you're recognizing that um, she may indeed have a, a greater, uh, for lack of a better word, maturity spiritually than you do. Um, so this is why she's able to mentor you. Uh, spiritually a bit. And um, so let's get into some of those points about where that goes, because, again, we're, we're, as I've said many times, tragedy is going to strike here. So sorry, but let's go from, you know, uh, engaging in that part of the relationship to the tragedy itself. Well, I, I, I just need to quickly fill in one other element. Sure. And while we were in L.A., we, we wound up moving back to the Bay Area about 2001. But this was about 1997, 98. Was, we're just starting the rebuilding process. And there was something I, I saw an ad in the paper that there was a psychic giving a presentation of all places at the Hollywood Holiday Inn. And I, I never believed they even spent any time or even, you know, did the palm reading for fun, but there was something, and things have happened to me in my life, some of them are in the book, where things just happen, and I respond for no apparent reason, or I do something that's contrary <laughs> to, <laughs> to seeming good sense, sort or whatever, so with your gut I, I felt regardless. I had to go. Yeah, just and, kind of going with your gut, right? Yeah, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted to, I said, you know. Why don't you come with me? Because I, I thought she would be very interested, and, and it, uh, quite the opposite, because because of her biblical understanding that uh, psychics 
sorcerers, seers, spiritists, they're, they're dealt with harshly in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't crazy about going, but she said, well, you know, okay. So, so we went and, uh, I, I this is to, to, to try to sum it up, um, where we met a woman, she looked just like a suburban housewife, which she was, mm-hmm. except she was also, she calls herself, uh, so intuitive, but, you know, basically a psychic medium. And, we were there with 30 other people, and when we left, we were speechless, okay? We were speechless. And then after that, uh, I spent that, – that's when I really – I quit brokerage, and then I spent some of my free time just delving into the whole issue of psychics and, uh, again, just uh, read a lot, uh, talked to people. Uh, and then we went – to see the the woman name is Mary Jo and she had a retreat in Florida and we spent some more time with her and um, and after that I, I I the best way to put it is she she could provide information she knew things that no one else could possibly know and and look I you know I did all the you know the cold reading and studied all of that. It's just, and Anita, we found out that Mary Jo was uh, a Christian woman, and Anita felt better about that because she wouldn't be operating from the dark side. And I became uh, friends with Mary Jo, and a couple of times a year we would, I would talk to her, you know, on a psychic level. So, uh and then it's 2002. Uh, my mom had passed away about three months earlier. And in June of that year, uh, Anita dropped dead one night. I mean, literally dropped dead. We were getting ready to go out to dinner with friends, and she was getting dressed and doing her makeup in the bathroom. And we were late, and I was calling to her, and no answer, so I went and I couldn't open the door. I pushed in and she was laying naked on the bathroom floor. And, you know, I called 911 and cops came, EMTs, and tried to revive her, but it was too late. And three hours later, they wheeled her out in the gurney. And there's nothing... I can do to describe what that felt like. No, there really isn't when uh, that situation happens. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to linger on this because there, there's a lot that could be said about it. But you're, you're very suddenly interrupted in life <clears throat> by something like this. And just... Quick question, though. How long before did your mother pass? Uh, three months. Three months. Okay, so your mother passes just just for timeline's sake here in, like, March. Mm-hmm. And then in June, you're getting ready to go out somewhere, and Anita just very suddenly dies. What what happened there? Uh, I'm sure they, they took time to investigate, which is why it took three hours for them to remove her. Uh, but, uh, 
you know, in general, what 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 did they finally tell you was the cause of death? Well, I, I had to wait a few weeks till they did an autopsy, hmm. and then uh, the autopsy indicated that she had a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a congenital heart condition, which. I don't know. I didn't know she had. I don't even know if she knew she had. No, it's one of, uh, one of those And you, you may have read about it from time to time. There'll be like a, mm-hmm. a young athlete or something just drops dead, and it's just you're gone. And you, there's no, you know, last minute where you can say goodbyes or I love you or anything. Uh, and, that, and that it was, you know, very hard. Very hard. Because right. I, I, after this happened, I, well, at first I wanted to commit suicide and yeah. then, um, my, my daughter, who we were, was, was and am still very close to, she would just kind of check in on me every day and force me, you know, and, uh, so I decided, you know, it was maybe sometime later, but not right then. And, is, is this your I got, daughter from uh, your first marriage? Pardon? Is this your daughter from your first marriage? Yes. Okay. Her name is uh, Natalie. Natalie. Okay. No, just checking. Go, go, go ahead. She's checking in on you, and I, yeah. obviously, you know, it's not uncommon uh, for somebody to want to follow uh, their partner. So you're in that state of mind, honestly. And uh, so your daughter might have given you pause there and actively attempted to uh, kind of, you know, get you to get you to stand up straight at least, you know, and keep moving. Is that about right? Yeah. And and, and then I uh, I called Mary Jo and uh, <clears throat> she she obviously knew Anita, but uh, she didn't know why I was calling. And I just said, you know, I. You know, let's let's have a session, and so she went into trance, mm-hmm. and she says, "Oh, Anita passed," and you know, and she told me, you know, how because I knew from the autopsy, uh, I knew how how it happened in scientific or biological terms, but right. I, I didn't know why it happened, and so Mary Jo kind of explained it, and she and she said, "Look, right now." You need to deal with your grief, you know, um, and you, you call me back when when you you'll know when it's time. And and there we and there we left it. So I spent the next few months. Uh, I had a good. By now, I was a, a real estate operator, mm-hmm. which is someone who, you know, gets uh, money partners and buys big buildings. And I had reinvented myself again. And uh, uh, so I had a good partner because I told him I had to take some time off. Yeah, he thought it'd be like a few days, you know, it turned out to be months. And, uh, but I, I had to figure this out. Uh, I had to figure out what happened and I had to figure out how I was going to live my life from that point on because uh, it's, it, it's not the same. You know, people tell you, you know, well, Eventually, you'll get over it and get back to normal. And uh, I just said it's never going to get back to normal. So, well, you, so you have to <laughs> grieve, and you also have to reorient yourself to be able to move forward. 
um, with you know a, a different uh, a different mindset, a different emotional set than you had before the event. Um, that's that's just the fact. So some people take a little bit of time. Some people take no time and they work through it, right? Um, but uh, personally, uh, I, I'm I'm not somebody who if I have a choice. Certainly, uh, if I'm grieving and also needing to reorient my entire life's plan, um, you know, me personally, I, I would I would probably take, you know, a few months off, too, if I could. Uh, so that's what you were able to do. That was a good thing. And um, yeah, because we, we people live, you know, basically in denial. Uh, they live as if they're going to live forever. If they really stop to think about it and say oh, all of this, you know, we make this brief appearance, right? And then, it, you know, it starts at zero and ends at zero. You know, it's kind of, well, what's the point then? And that right. almost every day I would think about, you know, like what's from that perspective, what is the point? So. Well, somebody else passing gives you a sense of your own mortality also where it's like, look, eventually this has got to come to an end. And really, rel relatively speaking, it's not long from now. So, yeah, of course, you, you get into that mindset. But you obviously uh, decided not to uh, <clears throat> go on to the other side there. And you obviously decided to continue on with your life because you're talking to me. Um, but, you know, that that's actually a, a willful decision you got to make, right? So Yes, exa yeah, exactly. You know, but you did that. And um, so back to Mary Jo here, who, uh, you know, I, I think appropriately said, look, you know, get back to me in a little while when you feel a little stronger. Um, that's a good sign there because that's not somebody who's trying to uh capitalize on you when you're in a vulnerable situation. Yeah, and um, our relationship even from the beginning was always she said, "Look, uh you know, you can talk to me once or twice a year." Mm -hmm. Uh and the fact she wasn't trying to sell me, you know, obviously. <laughs> I've been a salesman all my life. Right. Uh, I was impressed with it, but she said, you know, you can't use this as a crutch. You have to, you alone can live your life. Right. I'm going to tell you what the images and symbols that come into my mind from, you know, channeling uh, that input and trying to put it in language. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll tell you what that says, but it's your life. Oh, so that, this wasn't anything new. This was the nature of the relationship I had with her. Fair enough. So for the sake of the story, I'm sure there's quite a bit more in between here where <clears throat> you're learning again to live basically under new conditions. Um, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I took a meditation, which was very helpful. You know, I started to see a counselor, uh, but she, she basically felt I was doing well on a self-directed basis. And mm -hmm. so, and, you know, I read, I studied that, I, and I did things, and eventually I felt I was in a more stable stable place and kind of ready, you know, to re-enter. So that's when I 
called Mary Jo again. Okay. So you call her back up and you say, all right, <clears throat> I'm not good, <laughs> you know, because this is still uh, something that is troubling me, but I feel ready to engage with you again. Um, and so what, what happened then? So, uh, she'll, I called her and, um, she, uh, before she went into trance, she, she always admonished me that, uh, you know, it, it's, this isn't like a, <laughs> like you see in Hollywood. Uh, Anita, Anita may not appear, uh, somebody else, a relative, a friend, somebody who you didn't even know well, who, who has passed, may, may step forward and, you know, give you advice. So don't, this isn't, you know, any, any psychic claims 100% accuracy is, you know, right. a charlatan. Right. Frankly, look, it's not the scene from Ghost with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. What's yeah, going to happen yeah. here is I'm going to open up a channel, and I don't know what's coming, and neither do you. Uh, whatever comes, comes. And you know what? That is usually the sign of uh, somebody who's being a little more honest about this. So I I'm just, you know, checking boxes as we go here. Yeah, because um, ultimately it's like the best analogy is like when these old Philco radials where, you know, you get a lot of static, you're trying to find the channel, and you're fiddling with the dial. And right. if conditions are right, Sometimes it comes in just loud and clear, and other times you hardly can get it at all. Yeah, so. no, other times you might vaguely recognize there's music, and you yeah. find, okay, that's somebody talking, and if I just adjust a little bit, now I can catch some of what's being said. It's not an exact science, so to speak. Uh, yeah, but, but the, this, the yeah. one compelling thing on every conversation, or at least the initial conversations, Mm -hmm. if, to, if you're fortunate enough to find, you know, the tiny percentage of what I call adepts who are really skilled, and it, it's not something you, you hold later in life where, you know, you go to school and learn. It's it's a gift. Uh, usually they recognize at a very young age and felt weird and uh, later as a young adult kind of gave in because – they knew that was their calling, but right. uh, they will always tell you some piece of information. Uh, I call it an attention getter that no one else could possibly know. Okay. And uh, that's uh, again in the book. There's examples, but it's uh, that that for me that, that's what led me even in the direction of taking this as a subject to study right. uh, and. Again, I've I learned all the tricks, and, and uh, the listener can they can judge for themselves. But so um, so I, I was I, I didn't have high hopes, but then when she went into trance and started speaking, there was there was Anita, and we you know quotation marks talked, and she told me what she was up to, and. Mm -hmm. I told her I was up to, and then she gave me some specific instructions, and uh, and 
it, it was at that moment. Her death was the first defining moment, the major defining moment of my life. And this was a close second where I felt, uh, I know this, how this may sound, but I felt that our relationship survived her physical death. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then in subsequent years, uh, again, we'd have, have a conversation to a year with Mary Jo, but then, Anita finally appeared one night. This was years later, and it's described in the book, and it's still hard to adequately describe. But it was uh, it was quite an experience. And then a few years after that, and uh, I, I, I my skepticism kind of resurfaced, and I said, "Well, you know, I could just this can all be just a traumatic." Result well, and powerful, wishful something's thinking. going on in my brain, and I'm uh, inventing these things. And well, Mary Jo is like yeah. trustworthy. You see what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Like powerful, wishful thinking, basically. Yeah. Where yeah. you know you you want to hear certain things, and maybe you ignore uh, some of the signs that you're being taken, so you question it, yeah. and you say, okay, well, maybe this isn't real, but I want it to be real. So <clears throat> you re-examine it. Um, and that makes sense. Uh, it's always good to re-examine your positions on things. Let me, let me ask you a side question though. Um, did you have any personal experiences where you felt as though you were contacted by Anita in some way directly outside of your conversations with Mary Jo? Or... Yeah, that, that one event I just mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of years after she passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just I, I want and and you and one knows it right away. It's not a dream or an illusion or the operation, you know, of chemicals in your brain. I mean, for me, it, it's qualitatively different. It's like right. nothing I'd ever experienced before. Right. I mean, so, I, I could tell you that from a personal experience, uh, a smell came into a place where it had no logical sense to be, and I could detect. You know, that there was a, 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 a present. I don't know how to describe other than to tell you I could detect a presence um, <clears throat> where there should not have been one. And, you know, the, these are unique things that other people have talked about. I had an aunt who used to talk about it all the time. Very, very Catholic lady, but very much uh, connected to this sort of thing and had an idea about angels and people watching over people and and all of this kind of thing. Um, and you know, it, it was just matter of fact to her. It wasn't a matter of this is special or anything. This is just what is. Uh, and if you experience something like that, I, I often would say that, uh, you, you would just have to have been there <laughs> and experienced it to understand <laughs> it, right? So th- this is why you might have a little trouble describing this to someone else who wasn't part of the situation. Um, yeah, and then you wind up not talking about it because, you, you know, people to... roll their eyes and, yeah. you know, and, and, and that, that doesn't bother me because at one time I would have reacted the same way. Right. So you understand the skeptical reaction, but at the same time, you know, you know what you know. So I, I understand that. And, and again, this is from your perspective. So you begin to challenge this again. So uh, continue on. So I said, well... Why don't I contact another psychic? 
Okay. And in, in, so I, I did some research. I interviewed a couple, and uh, again, I, it, I was, wasn't getting the right vibe. And then I found someone that um, uh, happened to be a person of, like, international reputation, mm-hmm. not John Edward. <laughs> No, I, but, I stand by my statement about that guy. I'm sorry. Yeah, but but I, okay. but you know, again, like anything else, like in business, you know, if uh, if you want to hire somebody uh, at an upper level, you, you don't go to, you know, the wine ads or that. You you, you just know who, who they are. You, you know what I mean? Right. No, uh, no, people, by reputation, people just gain insider reputation. information. So, right. People so gain I, reputation. There was a, might a lot of people yeah. who had connected with this guy who had gotten results. I, and I'm talking like famous, wealthy people or people you wouldn't even imagine, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I said, well, you know, let me just give it a shot. So arranged the call. And um, I didn't tell him anything. He, he didn't know me from Adam uh so it didn't mention obviously a need or any any other aspect of my life just you know I'm just a guy and and again he said yeah I don't want and like Mary Joyce I don't want you to talk and I'm not gonna you know I don't want to know your backstory or anything if if I ask you a question just as Mary Joyce you know just answer yes or no and um so he started, and I was just. Uh, he said, "Oh, he said this is interesting." He said, "There's this woman, <laughs> you know, because it's like you have these competing spirits." He says, "She just, you know, there's no one else. It's just her." Uh, so see what she has to say, and then he he channeled, and it was like we had picked off the the last conversation mm-hmm. we had. And, uh, and I go, you know, I felt like a doubting Thomas, you know, but, um, and that resulted in, again, some memorial events for me or, uh, where she told me things no one else could possibly know and gave me further direction on my, you know, moral and spiritual development. And so I hung up and just, Kind of sat quiet for a while, and you sort of compared notes between Mary Jo and what you got from this unnamed yeah. person, and uh, decided that, uh, well, if these two people who don't know each other are telling me virtually the same thing, or telling me things that fit together perfectly, uh, then I am apparently having a legitimate interaction here. Uh, sort of reconfirming. Yeah, I'm getting it, valuable yeah. information, which I may not be able to explain, but on a level of reality, is as real as anything else I operate on. You know, so. Okay, fair enough. Now, this this continues though for a bit, and you and you've had uh, more conversations with Mary Jo where she's channeled things and how how is it you know because obviously this has been a bit of a for lack of a better term a roller coaster emotionally right this yeah and and they they began to taper off uh so i i haven't 
had this kind of a session with Mary Joel uh, for many years now. Okay. Uh, you kind of like, you know, her aim was to get me back on my feet, you know, and live my life. But, mm-hmm. but the, it, it's an experience I feel I can access at any time I need to. And that, that is, I guess, the moral of the story. It gives you the strength to carry on. Right. Right. Well, this this is an interesting um, description of a grieving process uh, with with elements that you know again could be could be worthy of uh, a screenplay. Um, and your your entire life is interesting too. I just I'm focusing on this because it, it's it's fascinating to me this idea that you put forth earlier when you said, you know, that our relationship had survived her physical death. Um, and why is that interesting? Because, quite frankly, uh, when you suffer loss, there is almost always, whether it is sudden or it's uh, with illness, uh, you know, long time coming, you knew it was coming, it was a matter of days, it was a matter of months, whatever. Uh, quite frankly, there's often unresolved issues or unfinished business in one way or another. Uh, it is just the nature of life and death that this occurs. You didn't get to say goodbye. That was one of the other things you said earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even in cases where you did get to say goodbye, maybe you didn't hear the things you wanted to hear before that time. You didn't get to do X, Y, or Z with that person. You didn't uh, You didn't ever finish some thing that the two of you had in mind that you were doing together. Uh, or, or there was a conversation that was, well, we'll get to this later, and it never gets gotten to. Um, so it's not unusual to regardless again whether it's sudden or it's you know something that you have some indicators about in advance to uh to have that sort of situation um but if if you could you know tell me how you feel about it today and uh and and if you feel as though this gave you some uh, again I hate to use this term cuz it's one of those you know, counselors in a lot of cases, I feel a, a lot of psychiatrists are nearly uh, as 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 useless to me as most people that call themselves mediums because they're they're not trafficking in anything helpful or real in a lot of cases. But they often talk about, you know, conflict resolution uh, and, you know, and, and how you have to come to a uh, a, a, a a settlement, so to speak on any relationship, whether it ends in death or it ends in departure of another kind. Uh, they, they, they talk about this and focus on it and everything else. So how do you feel as uh, someone who had obviously some things to resolve with your partner? I, I, I feel like, uh, like I have about a lot looking back on my life. I, I was a lucky guy. I was lucky to have met the people I met, to experience the things I've experienced. And uh, uh, the 
when when all this kind of back in 2009 is all this revelation kind of solidified that's when i i went to a retreat at a jesuit retreat center here in the in the san francisco bay area and uh, after that i went back to the practice of my faith and that led me uh, after that i went to ukraine and kind of reconnected with with the church and so that was the kind of the next uh, experience which it led to and mm-hmm. so, so because in my mind and again i'm not here to uh, like anita not to proselytize in any way right but it's all a function of what you believe to be true you believe life starts at zero and then ends at zero, then you're going to live in a very specific way. Right. Uh, if you believe there's more to it than meets the eye, uh, then you're going to live in another way. So right. it's, we have the choice. Well, and, and here's the thing, too, is that going back to your roots, um, religiously, spiritually, culturally, uh, all of that might have to do with feeling, you know, sort of... Uh, grounded once again in the life and the experience no matter how brief or extensive it may appear to be in your perception uh it it could be just about you know having an appreciation for the finite time at least here on this particular rock and in this particular form uh and and trying to put that in context uh, not seeing, you know, birth as, uh, as, as the average beginning, not seeing death as the average ending in a linear fashion as we're taught to see life anyway. Um, you know, everything has a beginning, everything has an end. But does it really, or is that just the limitation of the experience? And by the way, some people's experiences are more limited than others. So, there's a lot more to this, and uh, it it gave you a different perspective on life in general. And, of course, there's a lot more in the book, uh, The Other Side of Success. There's a subtitle as well, and uh, the subtitle is appropriate, but you guys can go to the website and take a look at it. It's uh, an orange and uh, reddish-colored sort of a book where you have... Uh, and it's, you know, and one of those bridges, and I, I'm sure it's meant to represent the Golden Gate. That's the imagery it evokes. Um, and it's a fascinating read. It's a memoir. And, uh, you know, this is only one aspect of it that we focused on tonight regarding uh, Martin's second marriage to his wife, Anita, the uh, fascinating person she was. So my final question, and then uh, anything else you want to throw in here before we're done tonight uh, feel free, but my final question is this. Um, do you think this overall experience, although not always pleasant, uh, might have, at the end of the day, sort of granted you a greater appreciation for the people you encounter and the experiences you have? And did it enhance your, um, your, your overall view that I take from this that, uh, you know, that, that life is something that is a gift, uh, you know, is one gift. But there are many other gifts that are just simply granted to us 
as spiritual beings as we travel through this uh, this time, this experience, this whatever you want to call it. Um, w- would you say that it made you appreciate the people, places, and things a lot more? Uh, would you say that it uh, got you, I don't know, more maturity spiritually, sort of like when she started to mentor you? Uh, did it uh, just, you know, give you a more evolved view of life itself? I mean, I guess that's that's the main question there. And anything else you want to put in here as we come down to the last uh, six, seven minutes? Well, for, for the record, uh, my anomalous experiences didn't stop. I, I met my third and final wife in 2006, uh, which is detailed in the book. Uh, we married in 2008. Her, remarkably, her background was very similar to uh, Anita's, although I didn't know it initially, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went on and reinvented myself a third time as a real estate developer. And a partner and I, we had a major project in San Francisco, Um uh, with, you know, finished value of hundreds of millions of dollars. And then I walked away from the business <laughs> seven, seven, eight years ago. It just, uh, and I started writing. Um, I, at first I, I never written before, so I didn't know how to write. I mean, you know, uh, fiction or, you know, create character the three-act structure, any of that. And so I wrote uh, some screenplays, wrote some essays, and then that's when I decided to write the book uh, because the characters I knew and the experiences I had in real life were more interesting than what I could conjure up in a fictional world. So, And then it took me three years, but... So I, I, it was worth it, and it was worth it. No, absolutely. Excuse me, absolutely. But um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's really interesting because, uh, again, I'm working on a, a memoir myself, and I was encouraged to do so because I told a few stories about my life, and people found them remarkable. I didn't even think they were remarkable. Um, and and it's believe me, it would be nothing like your story here. Uh, but it's, it's still kind of interesting to, uh, to have somebody allow you to peer into their, their mind, their head, uh, and, and you get imagery from experiences they've had, which again, um, are, you know, far more interesting than most of the fiction that, uh, that we encounter. I mean, I agree with you there. I can't even imagine stuff. Uh, that is uh, probably stranger than some of the reality that I've, ex- you know, experienced personally, and uh, it's uh, it is well written, and I'm trying to teach myself to write actually by using my memoir as a as a template, because uh, I actually have another book in mind regarding the JFK assassination because I spent so many years uh, investigating it, but that's a book that people might want. My book on myself is just a practice run to, uh, you know, this is the material I definitely know and don't have to find references for. It's just my memoir, my story. Um, 
And uh, it, it's, well, they say write what you know, yeah. where your heart is. So, well, and that's why I'm starting there to teach myself how to write in long form. But you've apparently done that quite well. This is well written, by the way. Uh, the other side of success. And uh, as I said, if you go to uh, Martin's Facebook page uh, for, I, I believe it's his author page on Facebook, um, and I recently uh, put a like on there, there are uh, images of Anita, his his third wife is on there. I think, I think your first wife might be on there somewhere. Uh, but I was um, kind of stuck on the image of Anita, to be honest with you, because, again, she is a, a very interesting part of Martin's story, but not all of Martin's story. So, again, is there anything that you, you feel as though I glossed over, missed, or didn't let you get to in the last couple of minutes here? No, I, I want to thank you again, Chuck. I really enjoyed this conversation. And, uh, yeah, some things just take time to to set up so that the listener gets you know creates that image in their mind as as closely as possible and that's why i think you get the the emotional impact yeah well and and i wanted to give you time to express you know a little more uh than than what i could have gotten at i mean i don't do standard interviews anyway but i, I wanted to make sure that we explored this one particular story so to speak but but to give it some context first you know who are we talking to in the first place you're obviously a key player in your own story so we needed to get that <laughs> and then i didn't want to just gloss over and get into the uh you know the psychic and how that all worked and just just go for that yeah we could have done that in an hour but this two-hour discussion i feel uh was was much more effective and again does not begin to cover if you think you heard everything that's in this book you didn't um and there's a lot more to martin's story there's there's literally uh a good three full story arcs here that you could separate into different uh lines regarding the story in martin's book again the other side of success and uh what is your what is your website address if you wouldn't give it if you wouldn't mind giving it verbally and again i'll put the links in the show notes that'll go out uh, and a couple of pieces of commentary and things like that uh, to accompany this. So check the show notes and you can click on a link there. I usually make them clickable so that that's not a problem. But what is your website again? Yeah, it's uh, uh, simply martinsawa.com. It's M-A-R-T-I-N-S-A-W-A.com. Right. And the book is The Other Side of Success. The subtitle is money and meaning in the golden state and my wife virginia has been very kind she's read the book and has approved it <laughs> well listen so, that, that, that's it, always it, the it's first hard thing <laughs> for her because again i'm yeah. you know the the midpoint is my second marriage but again i had uh, it's what i had to write so no, hey, look, you, you, you have to tell the, if you're gonna tell the story, you gotta tell the story, and it's a good thing that, uh, you have the current wife's stamp of approval. Again, my guest was Martin Sawa, the other side of success, uh, money and meaning in the golden state. That is the complete title. It's, uh, an orangey, reddish sort of cover, and I will provide you the link to martinsawa.com, as well as a couple other relevant links in the show notes. So I want to thank everybody for listening, no matter who you are, where you are. 
Uh, remember, I am merely O'Shelly, and all of you are indeed the effect. Thank you, Martin Sauer, for spending two hours with me going over Thank just you, this sir. small aspect of the book. Thank you. <laughs>